RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by The Great Courses Plus. Hundreds of courses, thousands of lectures, tons of stuff that you want to know. Try it for free for one month at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 290, Invasive Procedures. Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek, taking it apart from messages, morals, and meanings, and seeing whether the episode stands the test of time. This week, Invasive Procedures, or as I like to call it, Dax 2. Because, well, there's two Daxes. First mm-hmm. of all, in this episode three, if you count the little guy that hops between the two of them. Right. Dax to electric boogaloo. <laughs> there you go. Uh-huh. And then also it may bring up, you know, some of the same stuff. Although if you want to boil it all down, I would say the reason I call it Dax too is reasons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> John's got trivia coming up in a moment. Always a fun part of the show. But first, I'm going to tell you how to get in touch with us. Also a fun part of the show. <laughs> Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember... We may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. It's like the laughing place over here, John. That I mean, was fun. Every, that was fun. Every part of the show. Yeah. Every part of the show is fun. Every mm-hmm. single part, including, as I mentioned before, but please let me mention it again, including when you do trivia. Here comes trivia incoming for Invasive Procedures. The story is by John Welpley. Now, the bulk of John's writing work is actually on other Gene Roddenberry shows. That would be Earth Final Conflict and Andromeda. But he's not totally new to Trek. Oh, no. No, we did already cover his other Trek contribution in Season 4 of Next Gen. He co-wrote Suddenly Human with Jerry Taylor based on a story pitch by Ralph Phillips. So the teleplay today is by John Welpley and Robert Hewitt Wolfe, Right. So John worked on the teleplay for this one with Robert, who we've talked about before, most recently with his work on In the Hands of the Prophets. And those two worked on more together, including Andromeda. This episode was directed by Les Landau. Very familiar name there. We saw his most recent work on DS9 when we talked about The Forsaken, but he was bouncing between TNG and DS9 for a while. Just a few weeks after Invasive Procedures aired, his directorial work was seen again on TNG's Dark Page. Hey, uh, you mentioned the trill. You mentioned the little uh, wormy guy as uh, maybe the third wheel (laughs) there. A little bit of a different makeup effect for the trill symbiont here from the one we saw in Emissary. Definitely different from the one that we saw in TNG's The Host. Um, Really, that was just Michael Westmore's call. Just I uh, wanted to make it look different, so he did. And there you have it. 
But lots going on here with guest stars, so let's get right into that, shall we? We have Tim Russ as the Klingon Takar. Now, we all know exactly who Tim Russ is, but let's go back to October of 1993 when this episode first aired. He had been on exactly one episode thus far. He was a guest player on Next Gen's Starship Mine, though we know he was in orbit of the production since he auditioned for the role of Geordi LaForge. A few years after this episode aired, and we've already mentioned this too, he had a bit role in Star Trek Generations. And yeah, there is still a lot more of Tim to come. Now, alongside Tim, you have another veteran Star Trek guest actor, Steve Rankin as Gito. Hey, uh, remember that time Worf let a Romulan die through his inaction of not donating some of his blood? Yep. Yes. That was, <laughs> yes, you do. And that was Steve playing Patah in The Enemy. Then he had a brief cameo on DS9 and Emissary. We'll have to wait again to see him in a throwback role on Enterprise just several more years until we get there. So, so hang tight. Special shout out to Patricia Tallman here. Now, she's not credited in this episode, though she is a longtime Trek contributor who we've mentioned before. She's been on several episodes as an uncredited player or stunt performer. That's what she was doing here. She was doubling for Nana in a fight scene and got clocked for real by Tim Russ. Being the true pro that she is, she liked the way the scene was going and refused to stop so they could get the sequence done. Megan Gallagher plays Muriel, and this episode marks the first of three Trek appearances for Megan, one more on DS9 and one on Voyager. At the time, she had racked up a good number of guest and recurring roles on shows like China Beach and Hill Street Blues. When this episode aired, she had been making recurring appearances on The Larry Sanders Show as Jeannie, Larry's then ex-wife. And Megan continues to turn up in all kinds of shows, uh, 24, Warehouse 13, Designated Survivor, then in a recurring role on Suits. Finally, John Glover as Virad. Well, this is it for his Trek appearances, just this one episode, but John Glover has quite the resume, and no doubt you have caught him elsewhere. Let's just hit a very few highlights. Uh, movies like Scrooged, Gremlins 2, Annie Hall, Robocop 2, TV roles on Miami Vice, L.A. Law, The Good Wife, and more. He was Lionel Luther on the show Smallville, and you can throw in a whole lot of voice acting work, Batman, Superman, Tron, even Animaniacs. And if that's not enough, he also has a Tony Award for his dual roles in Love, Valor, Compassion, which he then played again in the 1997 film of the same name. After the last few weeks of turmoil, it will be great to have everyone back. On. Hey. Where. Where did everybody go? Prologue. DS9 has been evacuated except for the bare essential crew to ride out a plasma storm. The essential crew, and Cork that is, he was supposed to be in his bar. He refused to go unless he could take his latinum, but Odo and O'Brien find him hanging out in an airlock. 
There's some hardly believable story about how he's sad over Rom leaving, but when Quark leaves the airlock, we see a piece of technology in there that doesn't belong. Act 1. With that storm blowing around and nobody on board except for the people whose names appear at the top of the call sheet, the boredom is broken by the distress call of a cargo ship. Odo and O'Brien go down to the docking bay where they've used a tractor beam to pull it in and say hello to the crew. They don't need assistance, though. From that ship emerge two Klingons, an alien woman, and a Trill. One of the Klingons, Takar, holds O'Brien at gunpoint, while the Trill tells Odo they'll kill the chief if he doesn't squeeze himself into a little container. Odo complies, and they take him down to the infirmary where Bashir is told to put Odo in a stasis chamber. The crew in ops doesn't have much time to be suspicious, because in comes this threatening crew, phasers in hand, Mariel, the woman, takes everyone's comm badges, then sets about disabling DS9 systems. About that time, the other Klingon, Yito, finds Quark and reneges on the deal those two had cut to get the bandits on board in the first place. So it was Quark after all. But now he's not cooperating, and he's a prisoner too. But a prisoner of what, exactly? Sisko demands to know what this is all about, and the Trill, Varad, tells him. He's there for Dax. Not Jadzia, but Dax. Act 2. Um, take the worm out of Jadzia, and she'll die. Yeah, Varad knows that. He's so, so, so very sorry. He's a bit sheepish and nervous about the whole thing, but he explains that his whole life he had been working toward being a joined trill and then was found unsuitable for the task. So, here he is to take what he thinks is his. Once he has Dax inside him, he'll run off to the Gamma Quadrant with his crew. Of course, nobody on board wants to help him, but Farad makes a pretty compelling argument by shooting O'Brien with a phaser. Bashir will cooperate by performing a procedure where others will be hurt. Jedzia relents and says she'll go along with it as long as the violence ends. In the infirmary, Bashir applies a neuroelectrical suppressor to Jedzia. It'll help her sleep. She's grateful, even calm, in thanking Bashir for doing everything he could. Virad refuses the suppressor. He'd rather be fully awake for the procedure to make sure it all goes according to plan, and he can help if Bashir runs into any trouble. In ops, Sisko, Kira, and O'Brien are quietly discussing Jadzia's prognosis. If they don't do something, she'll die, as most Trills do, only hours after the symbiont is removed. It's enough talk to raise the ire of their captors. Takar kicks O'Brien, Sisko fights back, Kira fights Muriel. It's still not enough once Muriel gets the upper hand and threatens to kill Sisko with a phaser. Back to Bashir. He's got his hands full with a symbiont. He takes it from Jadzia and ever so gently places it in Varad and the place where symbionts go. With things settled down for now in Ops, Kira tells Quark he'll surely pay for what he's done. Just wait. We're sure he will. This is a big thing. And now it's time for Kira and Sisko to get to know Maria a little better. She says she'd do anything for Varad. 
She had a hard life growing up on Kafka 4 and was working in an accommodations house there while Varad was stationed in a lowly Federation communications job. He got called back to Trill, took her with him, and she's felt indebted ever since. And she loves him. Cisco says she might love him, but what about the person he is about to become? Once he's joined with the Dax symbiont, he won't be the Varad she knows anymore. Nice try, Cisco. Sounds like he's trying to shift her loyalties, but she's been warned already. Yeah, Varad may be a little different, but she's still in love with him, no matter what. Varad heard that last part. The operation is a success. And how? He's back in ops to check on everyone, and he's standing a little taller, speaking a little more confidently, giving better eye contact. He introduces himself as Virad Dax. Act 3. Dr. Bashir is doing what he can to stabilize Jadzia, even getting the help of a reluctant Yito. When she wakes up, she's terrified, alone. Bashir promises to do everything he can for her. In Ops, Virad is getting used to his new personalities. Curzon, Jadzia, Dax, many more, all their memories and personalities commingling with his. Cisco might see an opening there? They're friends, with shared experience, a lifetime of fun and memories. Hey, remember Cisco's wedding? <laughs> Good times, and how about that bachelor party? Whoa, crazy, and... And how about discovering the wormhole? Yeah, uh, Jadzia was so proud. And now she's going to die. Cisco says all Varad Dax has to do is come with him to the infirmary. They can fix this. The Dax he knows, the one who is his friend, would try to save Jadzia. Varad says he can't do that. And Cisco says their friendship is over. Act 4. Cisco couldn't get through to Varad Dax. Maybe he can still get through to Muriel? He tells her to go talk to Varad. Oh, sure, he's the same. He talks differently. He stands differently. He acts differently. You sure he's the same guy? The one you love? Her buttons now thoroughly pushed. Muriel pushes back when it gets Varad's attention. No, 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 no. Everything's fine here. Quark takes it upon himself to create a distraction which leads to a fight with a Klingon... One guess as to who wins that fight, Quark is hurt, especially on the ear, which is a sensitive part of a Ferengi. Virad gives permission to take him to the infirmary, which seems to be exactly where Quark wants to be. Virad is making plans on where to go. He'll take off for the wormhole first, followed by Muriel and the others, and then they'll meet at a rendezvous point. She's looking for reassurance, and he's a little dismissive. He says they'll all be fine, but she's a little cold now. Cisco watches their interaction. Trouble in paradise. Back in the infirmary, Quark is playing up his injury, which leads Bashir to enlist Yito once again to help him out. It's a perfect distraction, which gives Bashir time to grab a hypospray and lights out for Yito. Bashir retrieves the container that has Odo in it, and Quark uses his lock-picking skills that he picked up from somewhere to free the constable. Virat is ready to go and calls for Yito. When there's no answer, he knows his time is cut short. He has to move now. 
He and Qatar take Kira as a hostage while Maria waits behind an ops, assuming she'll go to the rendezvous point later. Farad says his goodbye, telling Sisko he wishes their friendship could have lasted into a third lifetime. Sisko coolly replies that he'll be seeing him again. Act 5. So, about that rendezvous. Sisko levels with Muriel. He knows, and she knows, that Varad won't be there when she goes to meet him. Let's look at this another way, then. Sisko wants Jadzia back, and Muriel wants Varad back, her Varad, not the one who's just lied to her. She gives Sisko her phaser with the instruction that if he hurts Varad, she'll kill him. Off Sisko goes. Where Varad's ship should be, there's no ship. Why? Because Odo released the docking clamps. That leaves him, Takar, and Kira to fight it out while Varad desperately runs off to find another ship, hopefully at the airlock next door. Between him and the ship, though, is his old friend Sisko. Both men have their phasers drawn, but Varad knows Sisko won't shoot him. With the symbiont in such a delicate state, he risks killing Dax even with one shot. Smugly, Varad walks right past Sisko toward the runabout when Sisko calls his name again. Varad turns around. Sisko fires. Varad hits the ground. Waking up from surgery, Varad is the old Varad again. He's no longer joined with Dax. Now he's alone, terrified, his confidence broken. Jadzia is awake now, too. She's rejoined with Dax. Everything is as it was, with one exception. She remembers everything gained from Varad, too. An existence that she says was so sad. The End I hate to correct you, it's not Varad, too, it's Dax, too. <laughs> okay, yeah, Dax, too. Yeah, oh, Varad also. I'm sorry, yeah, I missed yeah, it. Yeah. Okay, my bad, my mm-hmm, bad. Mm-hmm. She, she gained it from Varad 1. Although, well, technically she gained it from Varad, too, because he, he's Varad, too, after he gets the Dax in. Eh, whatever, whatever. Wait a minute. That's right. We actually do see, gosh, we see three. Well, yeah. Do we see two or three Varad in this? Because there's Varad. We see like two and a half Varads. Yeah. Right. Because there's Varad before, and then there's mm-hmm. um, Varad during. Yeah. And then Varad after, which I think is still Varad before, maybe. Although yeah. he doesn't remember what happened, but he's conscious of the fact there's something he doesn't remember anymore. Right. Which is weird. It's like a soap opera. It's like he got hit on the head. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So Odo, it turns out, is incredibly light. Well, he didn't have many lines this episode. (laughs) Well, not what I meant, though. Physically. Because he's in that box, which looks pretty heavy on its own, except everybody's just holding it with like one handle. (laughs) Like it's made out of balsa wood. And then, you know, all of Odo goes into that box. And mm-hmm. uh, and still, people are just. I mean, you, you felt like you could just like toss it over there, like no problem. Yeah. I, well, there was one moment right when Muriel grabs that container from. I, I want to say from Varad right at the beginning. She kind of does a little bit of physicality with it, like, "Oh, it's heavy. It's pulling my arm down." By the time he gets to the infirmary and Bashir picks it up, he's like, "Oh yeah, this is like an empty coffee cup." Exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Except there's a whole lot of guy in there. Yeah. Well, guy, yeah. gal, Odo, whatever Odo chooses to be at a particular time, I suppose. A, a, a mouse. Could be a sometimes. teeny tiny rat. Exactly. Yeah. Could be a teeny tiny rat. Could be a, could be a decal on the wall. Could be. You never really can tell what he's going to be. An interesting conversation did spark up online, I think on Twitter, uh, at Mission Log Pod, about Muriel 
taking Odo's combadge. So right. is that something he just makes whenever he shifts? Because if he does, where does it go? Like, like she takes it from him. Wow. But we see him turn from a mouse into Guy Odo, and Guy Odo's got the uniform, he's got the combadge. How does it work? Where does it go? We'll never know. That's a really interesting thing. So every time he, like, you know, takes, you know, form of water to, to, to borrow from the <laughs> yeah. Wonder Twins or something, uh-huh. every time he does form of something else, then, I mean, his cover should be blown because his combat should just be dropping to the ground. Yeah, we're just floating in a little pool. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Hey, I, by the way, I don't know if you remember because this goes way back, Ken, way back. Think. A long time ago to an episode called The Siege. Oh, that was last week. We evacuated DS9 last week. Yes, yes. Do you think, yeah. by the way, that Miles and Keiko had another fight before she had to leave ahead of the plasma storm? They and he they stayed had a, behind? They had a fight about it before the order had even been given. You think so? I'm, I'm certain. I'm certain she was like, okay, you're back now after that siege, but let me tell you, sir, if another evacuation comes up, oh, look, we just got orders to evacuate again. We actually don't know for certain that she ever came back. <laughs> That's true. We saw that, you know, we saw him go running off to uh, presumably welcome back his wife and daughter, but we never saw them come back. We don't, we don't know for certain. Gee whiz, I hope things are okay in the O'Brien quarters. He could have just been like, oh, I, everybody's back. Where's the Jumja stick guy? <laughs> that's, that's what I need. Well, no, he's Bajoran, so he didn't leave, remember? Because he got that, he got that rousing speech by, um, oh, that's uh, right. by, by one of the sharks. No, one of the jets. I'm sorry. By, by yeah, by, by, by Richard Boehmer by Richard as Boehmer. Lee Nollis. But Lee what Nollis. you mean is Tony from West Side Story. Yeah. That is, well, I, what I meant was Lee Nollis, but I couldn't remember that. So I'm like, <laughs> okay. I'm going to take the long way and see if it okay. comes to me. But thank, thank goodness you were there. By the way, who would let Quark stay? Hmm. I mean, I, you had strict orders to stay in the bar. Right. Okay. Don't have to tell me twice, by the way. <laughs> right, right. And, and apparently he's just sitting on 600 bars of gold-pressed latinum. He's, I mean, he's doing really well. That, that's extraordinary. I, I didn't, yeah. Wouldn't you think a guy like Quark would have a safe? You would think. Doesn't Quark actually have a safe? I mean, haven't we seen Nog break into Quark's safe before? To get like uh, a security thing or something? Oh, oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's got stuff hidden everywhere. And remember, he had that trunk that he was trying to drag with him uh, during the previous evacuation. Like, I got all this latinum to take with me. Yeah. Or or the episode where Vosh came, didn't she hand over something to, I guess, to... Uh, there were guys on DS9 who, like, you know, who keep things for safekeeping. She came in, yeah, she immediately right. gave them all that stuff. They did the whole inventory thing. Mm-hmm. Why does why does he have to take the gold pressed latinum? He'll be back as soon as the storm passes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and you take that room and you repaint it, and you have the stasis chambers in the infirmary. <laughs> so, oh, oh, maybe that's yeah. the problem. Okay, maybe. maybe oh, sorry, we, I didn't we, realize we they needed that set for something else this week. <laughs> that explains it. Okay, exactly. Um, I, I kept cracking up whenever, because I, I tried to keep track of this at one point on one of the rewatches, uh, whenever they would say how much the storm's intensity had changed. Like, mm-hmm. I needed a guy from a weather channel to explain it, because it, it, it's up 37%. Now it's down 20%. Okay, are we, are we talking 20% down from a baseline? Or from when it was up 37% the first time around? Because how bad was it then? And, and can you please put that in terms of how dangerous that is? Because I, I need a point of comparison. 
You make a you make a good point. Interesting. At no point was it up nor down forty seven percent. No, no. And when weird. we hit thirty seven, I thought surely forty seven would be the next, but no, it would only be a percentage of a percentage. So yeah, that'd just be crazy. Shout out, by the way. I, I, did you catch uh, the the shout out to uh, Cliff Bowl? Oh, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yes, the Cliffs of Bowl. Yes, when they were at the Cliffs of Bowl. Hello. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's a cute little... I, I didn't know if that would turn up in trivia, but it was a good uh, it was yeah. a good throwaway line. For people who don't remember, by the way, uh, Cliff Bowl is a guy named Cliff Bowl. <laughs> yes. And Man. he's a frequent, frequent director on Star Trek. Yes. Oh, well, that makes it funnier, doesn't it? They, well, there you yeah. go. Yeah. yeah. No, but when they were talking about all the places they'd been, when Dax and uh, and, and uh, Cisco were talking about all the places they'd been, one of the things they're like, oh, remember the time at the Cliffs of Bowl? There you mm-hmm. go. That, that's for Cliff yeah. Bowl, everybody, who sadly we lost in 2014. I know this because I had to double check. I was like, isn't that somebody? Isn't that a, oh, well, the Cliffs yeah, of... Yeah. yeah, that's a thing. So there we Good go. Good for you. Yeah, looking that up. So uh, I remember joking in the episode, Dax, about what a horrid place, you know, Trillville would have to be for the would-be hosts, right? Who are never allowed to become hosts. Yeah. I went back to look for those notes, and I guess we must have just been riffing at that point because I couldn't find anything written down. Hmm. Uh, What I did have written down, though, um, was saying, I'll be really glad when we don't have to talk about how inappropriate Julian is with Dax. Mm. So welcome to Dax 2. Now he's he's good most of the way through, but w- yeah. was he not just a little bit handsy? Like you know, when he's like, "Oh, don't worry, I'm here. I'm not going to let you die. I am going to keep touching your face, though. <laughs> I'm just going to keep touching and keep touching and keep touching your face." Because um, I guess this is bedside manner. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Yeah. I mean, I I didn't think of it that way. Yes. Really? There are many. Yeah. Well, many many times that he's been a little inappropriate, a little pushy with uh, with Jadzia. And here's the thing: if if we hadn't had over half a season of him hitting on her, I mm-hmm. probably would have just thought, okay, well, this is just a little weird. But I mean, yeah. I know what they're I know yeah. what they're doing. They're showing he's there for. They're, he's showing connectedness, right? Except that he had been, you know, over half a season hitting on her. Yeah. And I'm like, this this just feels this feels a tiny bit icky. Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> Sorry. I'm I, not sure. It's not a thing. That's why we're talking about it here as opposed to later. But I was just kinda like it made me a little bit like, Oh, I get oh, can can you can you stop, please? Can you stop doing that, please? <laughs> um all right, so how about in this episode, uh O'Brien is the guy taking the beating. Uh, first of all, he, he's held at gunpoint. Then he actually gets shot. Then he gets a Klingon boot to the shoulder after he'd been shot. Yes. Um, yeah, the Klingon then, went for the place that he had been shot. Yeah, that, that was hardcore. And then uh, to add insult to injury, Muriel just brings him some drink that he has no interest in. <laughs> the, Egg broth you know. soup or something. Yeah. Which, Ooh, no. which feels like just, it isn't broth soup. <clears throat> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Repetitive and redundant, it seems to me. It might be one of those. I'm not sure which. Uh, Here's what I was thinking, though. Remember in TOS how there were like uh, three episodes in a row where Scotty just had his backside handed to him, like episode after episode after episode? Yeah, right. I like to think that this was homage. The engineer is just like, yeah, just an engineer can take a beating. Go ahead, line him up. It's fine. (laughs) Well, see, at one point it was Scotty. Then later on it was Chekhov. Just you need to beat on somebody, you, you do it to Chekhov. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah. Wow. wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait till the animated series. You think he's taking a beating to this point? 
He's literally seen nothing. Um, so, uh, Muriel, by the way, you mentioned this. Uh, Muriel does say to Cisco, uh, if you hurt him, I will kill you. And Benjamin <laughs> says, I don't doubt it. And then he walks out. Kind of wanted him to stick his head back in and go, just so we're clear, though, I am going to have to hurt him just a little bit. Just a, just a tiny bit. But uh, he'll be fine. The crew of DS9 is making like REO Speedwagon. Riding the storm out. Scalpel, sponge. We'll get into invasive procedures in a moment, but first, a word from the Great Courses Plus. It is exactly what it sounds like. Great Courses, covering all sorts of subjects from health and fitness to the art of debate to understanding calculus to your deceptive mind. Your deceptive mind. All kinds of courses. New courses all the time are available to stream now, letting you watch or listen to as many as you want. Really convenient, right? Totally. Used to be you had to go someplace to learn, or at the very least, sit someplace. Use your eyes like a caveman. (laughs) But not anymore. The Great Courses Plus has an app for iOS or Android. So instead of having to sit and watch, you can go and listen. Or listen on the go. Say it however you like. Um, it's like listening to a podcast. You can do it while you bike. You can do it while you work. You can do it on your commute. Any place is great for a great course. You have heard me and Ken wax poetic about how much we have enjoyed courses by David Kyle Johnson, by Neil deGrasse Tyson. And now it is my pleasure to tell you about a course by someone who I'm a huge fan of. That would be Dr. Stephen Novella. His course, Your Deceptive Mind, A Scientific Guide to Critical Thinking Skills, is the gold standard for learning about how we think and how not to get trapped in logical fallacies. Uh, Just a few other courses, The Neuroscience of Belief, Science and Pseudoscience, and Flaws and Fabrications of Memory. That's just a handful of the lectures in his great course. In fact, I've referred to some of Dr. Novella's concepts on Mission Log, particularly about how memory is just a construct created by the brain every time we try to remember something. Didn't you mention that last week? I'm not sure. Yeah. 24 lectures in this course, all waiting for you, but you don't have to hit them all. You can pick and choose from this course and, and seemingly countless others, and you can start for free. Mission Log listeners have access to one month of lectures from The Great Courses Plus. Just go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash mission log. Lots of words, but lots of courses. So, so really, it's worth remembering thegreatcoursesplus.com slash mission log. Life is full of stuff you have to know. This is stuff you want to know. Start today at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash mission log. And a huge thanks to The Great Courses Plus for sponsoring this week's show. Listen, friend, in case you haven't heard, the Federation and the Klingons are allies now. What? I know, right? I was thinking about a discussion that we've had before uh, plenty of times, especially where it had to do with the Klingons about um, monocultures. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. a Klingon comes on board, roughs up O'Brien, and O'Brien's like, hey, we're supposed to be friends. 
I mean, like he's never had a problem with a human before or a human even. Right. <laughs> I mean, it was it was interesting to me. It's not a huge deal. It's not a huge part of the show, but it struck me because one of the first things that happens. He's like, hey, aren't we all supposed to get along? And uh, no, it just struck me as weird that the actions of one Klingon could actually speak to the behavior of the entire uh, Klingon empire, especially when, you know, this Klingon is acting Oh, about like you'd expect a lone Klingon to act, you know, kind of rough and tumble, <laughs> kind of like, you know, in your face. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, yeah, interesting about that, because as far as we know, you know, Worf is the only Klingon who is actually an officer on a Federation ship and or uh, uh, yeah, a Federation ship, a Starfleet ship. And he um, he takes a bit of ribbing. From other Klingons when, when he meets them, mm-hmm. they're like, uh, yeah, you, Worf, hanging out with, with a bunch of uh, Federation types. Yeah. You're maybe not so much Klingon anymore. But I always figure you can just confuse Klingons by throwing the word honor at whatever course of action they want to take. You'd be like, well, it, it's super honorable to just be Klingon and fight all the time and not go along with the status quo. Oh, but it'd be really honorable if you uh, uh, stuck around and you became friends with these people who you said you were your enemies. So uh, it's honorable. Go to it. We see now I feel like, though, you're actually you're doing the monoculture thing from the other side of just we know Worf that well. Right. Worf is, no, Worf is yeah. honor in the morning, honor in the evening. Honor, honor at supper time. At supper time, exactly. <laughs> Warp is warp is all honor all the time. I don't necessarily feel like every Klingon is. Take, for example, those Klingons who made the fake K-less. I don't know that they're necessarily yeah. honor all the time, honor all the time. Now I got that A. Murphy song in my head. Um, <laughs> I was reminded of something that you and I discussed. You mentioned uh, Kyle Johnson a minute ago in the, in, the, uh, in the ad you did for The Great Courses. I was reminded of something that you and I discussed with uh, Kyle after with the live show. This was not something that people heard us talk about, but it was something that had been blowing my mind. Um, the idea that measuring a thing or observing a thing changes the thing being observed or measured. Mm, mm-hmm. And what you and Kyle and I talked about after the show was the fact that I felt like that applied to people as well. And yeah. and we get that here with Farad, right? He says after years of study and and preparation, he went before the you know, Symbiont Trill Review Board which is a horrible name for it, but whatever. And they <laughs> reduced his entire life to one word, unsuitable. Yeah. Now, now, first of all, not to be all self-helpy, but the only person who can reduce Virad's entire life to unsuitable is Virad. But what I did find myself wondering, <laughs> no, because that's true. I mean, that's, I mean, that's true. I mean, look, I'm never going to be a brain surgeon, all right? I'm not. I, I, I don't think I'm smart enough. I certainly haven't put in the study. I'm never going to be a brain surgeon. But if I walk around saying I'm worthless, that's me. I mean, that's a different thing, yeah. right? Yeah. So it is very self-helpy. The only, the, only, the only person who can deem Virad unsuitable is Virad. That said, was he unsuitable because he was capable of the cruelty that he is about to visit on Jadzia? Or did deeming him unsuitable make him into someone who could be so cruel? Yeah, see, I, I kind of wondered the same thing, you know, it, it, that his uh, unsuitableness was something in his personality that the Trill Review Board of Trillness <laughs> Symbiotics Incorporated, um, if they did a psychological profile and said, well, well, here's a guy who, if he doesn't get exactly what he wants, 
he, he might flip. He, he might he, he might be unstable. Yeah. So we can't allow him to join with another being that would give him maybe more abilities. This this could be a bad influence all the way around. So I, I kind of thought that that was part of it. Actually, um, they, they didn't explicitly go into that in the show, but I, that's something that I kind of internalized about the character is that that was part of it. Now, did it make him worse by denying him that ability? Well, you know, we could take this to so many extremes and ask, well, what is the aftermath of that process like? Mm -hmm. um, if nine out of 10 people on Trill are not joined, it seems like nine out of 10 people are just going about their lives and they're okay with it. And they're like, yeah, there's about 10% of us who get to go do this other cool thing, mm -hmm. but that doesn't make us any less valuable because we have these rich, full lives. But maybe there's a handful of a percentage of a percentage who are like Varad here who, who can't handle it. I, you know, I, I, I did not have time to go back and listen to the part that we had talked about that on the episode Dax, but I know this was something that, and this was a joke that you and I made and here's Farad, mm -hmm. like, you know, cause neither of us, as far as I know, I hadn't anyway seen this episode or if I had, I didn't remember it. I mean, mm. this this is exactly what I worried about for the whole Trill Society. Ninety <laughs> percent yeah. of the people, are like, oh well, yeah, nice try, but we we you know we we do need uh, phone sanitizers, so yeah. maybe, maybe you can <laughs> right. do that for us. Right. I mean, it's just right. uh, yeah, it's uh, rough going for for this guy, and who knows, maybe eight out of ten of his best friends. <laughs> right. Well, th this is what I found so interesting about this episode, though, because obviously in the next segment, we'll talk about morals, meanings, messages, like how do we tie it all up? But the character study here is what was so interesting to me because it was all these themes. It was all these themes of personality that that were overlapping and changing throughout the episode. So loneliness was uh, a theme that came up for um, what well, Virad really introduced it. You know, because he, he's talking about how he feels incomplete without this thing that he, he feels entitled to do. Jedzia, man, I, we haven't really talked about Terry Farrell's acting much in this show, but this was a really great showcase for her because there was a, a great change in her physicality and and her her voice when she became Jadzia without Dax and is talking about the loneliness that she experienced and then we saw it again at the end of the show with um uh with Farad after Dax had been removed and uh them trying to sort of grapple with and figure out okay who am I now if I feel alone and here's Jadzia feeling alone expressing this loneliness right there with Bashir. Now, granted, she has every reason, every right to feel like Bashir's been a little creepy toward her. Mm -hmm. But even without that creepiness level there, Jadzia is somebody who is among friends. She's among people who care for her. Um, there is also another uh, uh, kind of ugly personality trait, the the greed and entitlement that we got out of uh, out of Virad. And nothing really to add to that, but I thought that that was an interesting character trait uh, that, that he really brought to the table. It, it was the greed that he had as Dax, that he could do anything, he, he could, he assumed the sort of new level of power, mm -hmm. but the entitlement started with Virad, the, the singular Virad, 
that that, that is something that is owed to him. Well, well, I worked hard. I, I tried to do this thing. They rejected me because they rejected me. But that's not good enough, so I'm going to take it because I, I believe that it's it's for myself. Um, and then the, the other kind of interesting thing here as a, as a character piece was the expectations that we put on other people around us. Um, I thought the Muriel and Virad uh, relationship was was quite interesting. Muriel was putting these expectations that Virad was going to save her as he had saved her before. Um, Virad had expectations, particularly after he took Dax into him, that people would just continue to do for him what they continued to do because, well, he's, he, 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 just because that's the way it has always gone. He can manipulate people because, uh, well, that, that, that's the way it is. I wondered at a certain point if there was an unintended message in here, though, about not exceeding your reach. You know the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I wrote down this line, and, and I think you wrote it down in your notes as well, that Virad says, I'm not going to spend the rest of my life dreaming about what I could have been, what I should have been. I deserve more. Mm-hmm. It's a Wonderful Life is the opposite of that. <laughs> I mean, Virad is saying, um, I'm going to do this thing because I'm going to make myself have this other life, this other life that I know I deserve. At the end of It's a Wonderful Life, I, one of the messages there is, you know what? Appreciate what you got. Don't uh, don't don't go too far outside of of what you, yeah what you don't think that that's part of the message of oh, that I th- movie I think that's absolutely part of the message of that movie and I absolutely love that movie and I think all yeah. I think all the messages in that movie are terrible yeah yeah I think, <laughs> well, I think it's absolutely but yet we watch it every year and we embrace it as a a, a family favorite and a holiday favorite um, yeah but, but it's there's not, something I, about I don't uh, feel like it's one that we should base our lives on though. No, 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 no. But but yet it is a, a popular and much beloved movie. And yeah. there's a message in that that says, eh, you know, just just be okay with what you have. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> see, uh, okay, so here's the problem. I'm now finding myself on two sides of two different things. First of all, you went really okay. quickly over the entitlement thing. And, okay. and, in, and in the day of the incel, is that what they're calling themselves? I don't know. The the involuntarily yeah. celibate. The, yeah, these that's people terrible. who now go out and shoot up places because they feel like they're entitled to sex. Yeah. I'm sorry. And that's and, and that's not really why they're doing it. They're really doing it because they're insane and they're awful. But there are people mm-hmm. who sort of glom onto this whole idea of like, yeah, they're entitled. No, they're not. We're not entitled. Yeah. I mean <sighs> We hold these truths, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, if you happen to be born here. These are things that we're entitled to. If you happen to be born somewhere else, I don't know what you're entitled to. I just happen to know that those are ones that you know somebody wrote down 200 some odd years ago and said that we were because we had the good fortune of being born in this place or being citizens of this place. His sense of entitlement is, is, is the beginning and end of his, uh, of his, of his um, there's not, his sense of entitlement, it hadn't even occurred to me to think about it in those terms until you said it. And mm-hmm. then to just say, yeah, so that's not great. Well, actually, that's pretty terrible. I mean, I don't know why he <laughs> thinks he deserves that when other people don't. I mean, Jadzia says, and I wonder about Jadzia's family. I mean, like, like 
is Jazia's family sort of like the stage mother, you know, the one who could never make it themselves, so they're going to force Jazia to be good enough to be accepted as a troll? Because right, both right. of her parents tried to be symbiont uh, host combinations, and they failed to, apparently as did her sister. Oh, but they're yeah. fine. I mean, the, the one piece of credit that I will give Varad is he does say, well, yeah, it's easy for you to say you got what you wanted. Okay, that's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. actually fair on mm-hmm. his part. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that he deserves it. Um, and yet he has this idea that because he wanted it, uh, he does deserve it. It's, it, it is the thing that, that belongs to him. And we can talk about, we can do a special It's a Wonderful Life episode around Christmas time if you want to, because. Uh, yeah, that, that's a great idea. We'll just, we'll pick a week and we'll do It's a Wonderful Life <laughs> instead of whatever Deep Space Nine episode yeah. is, is on the list. Yeah, there. this week on a very special Christmas episode of yeah. Mission Log, and hopefully you're not listening in uh, September. Um, so I think we both had a note on this as well. Um, where was Dax when Dax is being moved from host A to host B, right? I mean, it was mm-hmm. weird to me that Dax offered no fight against being taken from Jadzia and that Dax yeah. didn't fight being joined with Farad. Now, I want to say in, was it the host? Is that the one that, uh, where uh, Crusher fell in love with the Trill? Yeah, very good. That the, is the host. Thank yeah. you very much. I want to say that, yeah. th- that those Trill were a tiny, or those symbionts rather, were a tiny bit more ambulatory <laughs> than, <laughs> right. than Dax apparently is. Um, that said, I don't mean fight physically. I mean, I've always sort of assumed that it was the hosts that were the more passive of the two in a way, or the least powerful in a way. And, and what was weird is it almost felt like moving, moving Dax from Jadzia to Varad was like, was like moving a hard drive from an old computer to an upgraded computer or something, or or transferring all the contents of an old computer into a new computer. It felt like it was just like a different housing in a way, but still walking around with all those, with all those, you know, memories. But now, um, I don't know if it's running a different operating system or just living in different hardware or what. But the thing is, Dax seemed to show no compunction. Dax seemed to show... It's like Dax was just memory, not personality, mm-hmm. which which was an interesting take on on the whole host symbiont relationship. Yeah, that that was uh, a thing that I was trying to wrap my head around because uh, I think we have this idea of the 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 homunculus, you know, the just the the tiny human that that represents the big human and and or almost like the uh, oh you know the character in men in black where it's like a little guy inside a big guy suit yeah <laughs> you know just yeah. sort of pulling the gears moving the levers you know and that's really the personality that's the motivation that that's all the stuff happening there so what what shift in the moral center of jadzia dax allows Jadzia to just go like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll comply. I'll be okay with this. And, and the Dax inside who has seven previous lifetimes to not go, hey, hey, I don't want to do this, you know, and, and we're going to fight back and here's how we're going to fight back. So it was a, it was a really weird thing. It was, it, it put the, the onus on the host body so much more than on the, the creature inside that has all the experiences all the memories um, or even at the point that uh, that Dax gets inside Virad Dax is complicit in carrying out something terrible still 
Mm-hmm. You know, uh, if he had any control at all, it could be like, uh, no, I'm going to make my host body go to sleep now and uh, and leave a note for the doctor to take me out and put me where I'd rather be. If the crew of DS9 is riding the storm out, that makes them like the doors. Riders on the storm. Dax 2, or as I like to call it, Invasive Procedures. Actually, that's what the writers called it, too. This is the part of the episode where we talk about the messages, morals, and meanings, and and, and decide for ourselves, because we can only decide for us. We can't decide for you. We just, you know, we sit here, we talk, maybe you get something out of, you know, something one of us says, maybe you don't. Heck, maybe you get something out of something that both of us say. Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> <sighs> invasive procedures john does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned ah uh, man so uh this is one of those episodes uh and, and i've mentioned a few like this and i know that i've mentioned it when we've talked about discovery talked about what uh, it's a show you'll get to in 10 years oh, okay. um it, it's an episode where there's so much that i like but i kind of hate the story mechanics just getting from point A to point B. Now, make no mistake, everything with John Glover is wonderful. Um, everything with Terry Farrell is wonderful. The relationship stuff with Vered and Muriel, really interesting. Cisco's mind games are really interesting. I think Avery Brooks is, uh, is very entertaining in this. And he's got great moments with Muriel. He's got great moments with uh, Vered. The problem is the contrivances that get us from here to there. Start with sending one everyone away uh, from the station. Uh, plasma storm. It's an easy takeover. Mm-hmm. And even the little moments with the crew fighting back just seem to be filler. Um, it, it's it, actually maybe this is one of those things that that speaks to other Star Trek, previous Star Trek, maybe handling a story like this a little bit better when it just comes to the plotting. Because what you what do you do? You take a handful of crew members and you send them off on a shuttle to a planet or it's somebody taking over a ship or a part of a ship or the ship has gone somewhere and somebody gets left you know there's easier ways to kind of move people around with this well we got 300 people on the station and now we got to get them out of the station so we can justify this takeover you know you know what's really interesting Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim Russ was in an episode of Deep Space Nine where everybody was gone and he came in and took over. Tim Russ oh. was in an episode of Next Gen where everybody was right. off the ship and then he comes in and takes over. Takes over. Yeah. 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 People Very had to good. think it was bad news when he showed up on Voyager. Like, oh, well, it's going to be a short show. Tim <laughs> exactly. Russ is going to come in and take everything over. That was uh, yep. that was Starship yeah. Mine, by the way. Starship that Mine was, was the oh, episode where Tim well Russ done. came in, yeah, and uh, and Captain Picard uh, played the part of Bruce Willis in that episode. Fantastic! Uh, and then there's this big, big thing here. Quark has no punishment. Mm. Even Kira says, you sold us out. <laughs> and, it's, and she's like, yeah, and you're going to get punished, boy. This is when this is over. You're you're dead meat. And no. Yeah. Oh, man. That was surprising. Man. 
Um, but, but speaking of Quark, uh, he's got a great line in there. He couldn't find a cup of water if you dropped him in a lake. I love this line. But here's the thing. More than the line, I, I love that pretty much the indication is that whenever we get Quark, we're going to have some gem that's like a sly comeback or an insult. Just something clever. It points to the different writing style in DS9 compared to next gen. Mm-hmm. You would never hear uh, Picard say that about Riker, though I'd be greatly entertained if he did. <laughs> you know, you'd never hear Picard say, like, couldn't find a cup of water if you dropped him in a lake, number one. Um, so <laughs> so I, I, I love stuff like that. But, but if you're going to have this great, complex, kind of uh, a, a little bit of an outlaw character like Quark, well, if he's so much an outlaw that he is literally endangering his crew week after week after week, like... You have to address this. You can't just <laughs> let it go. Oh, man. Yeah, because people have died because of Quark. We've talked about that. Yes. Yeah. yeah and he was plotting another murder at one point. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. yeah but he's Quark. Yeah, he's Quark. He's lovable, big-eared Quark. Right. Uh, but uh, all that said, those are the things that I hate about this episode. But I love the character exploration. I love the deep dive into the trill. It was a cool way to explore the complexity of a character, the likes of which we really have only seen with Spock and the the Vulcans that we've encountered up until now. Um, so I thought that was that was very cool. Um, so I, for me, this episode holds up purely on the strength of the character work. Um, it, it's the construction of the story that drives me nuts. Um, this is one of those where I think you could just kind of take the best of moments and I would watch and go, oh yeah, John Glover is fantastic in that moment. Avery Brooks was fantastic in that moment. Not going to watch the rest of it. Mm-hmm. How about you? Well, I, I kind of find it hard to answer that question without talking about uh, kind of the message bits in a way. Like, I don't know. <sighs> See, what's weird is we've had these story arcs, right? We've had these things happen that we know are going to affect other things. And then today we have an episode where it seems like everything that happened happened in a vacuum, down to the fact that nobody was even around. So like, as long as these four or five people can keep their mouths shut about it, mm-hmm. nobody may mm-hmm. even know. Like, is Jed Zia going to be walking around next week going, no, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm just, I just feel a little... Or is she going to be, ah, hello, Benjamin, you know, is she going to be the same character that she's been, or is she going to be affected by this? I have a feeling because of the way the episode is written that she's not going to be affected by it at all. You're right. Quark's not going anywhere. Heck, the bar is called Quark's for crying out loud. He's, (laughs) he's still going to be there, maybe causing somebody to die, maybe nearly causing somebody to die. I mean, yes, for the most part, I would say it holds up, except in the end, it's what you've referred to before as like, oh, well, that's the thing that happened. I mean, that really is it. Right. There's not going to be any there's not going to be any hangover from this or any holdover from this unless somehow, you know, Vrod comes back and, and, and brings us Dax three, you know, unless we try this a third time or a second time or whatever. Um, what I found myself wondering. And the thing is, this is where I don't know if we can actually take anything as far as messages are concerned. So what's the plan for Vrod now? Right. Because because he you know, that's attempted murder. And I don't even know, would that be kidnapping? Would that be identity theft? What is taking a a, a symbiont against, you know, the current host's will? Um, Does Muriel really just get to leave with him in tow? I mean, what happens here? Because 
he actually says that he doesn't remember anything of what happened while he had Dax in him. He knows it happened, but he doesn't remember any of it. He can't feel any of it. So it seems unlikely that he's learned a lesson. <laughs> I don't yeah, know what yeah. lesson Muriel could possibly have learned. And and honestly, the only thing I could think of that like Dax might have picked up, it felt a little bit like Best of Troy. Because all Dax did was stand there and be a good person, be the best uh, people, be the best two people that she singularly could possibly be. And what she ends up with that is 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 um, a mind bleep that, you know, if this were episodic the way, you know, Twin Peaks was or something like that, is going to really mess her up for a very long time. Because it sounds yeah. like everything that's happened to the Dax symbiont to this point has been gravy, right? There was that one guy who had no sex life. He was kind of boring, but he knew his way around a, you know, a, a part of a ship that they needed to save. And <laughs> and we know that Curzon was just nuts. We know he was just like a nutty, like 60-something-year-old bachelor dude, right? Yeah. And and living like a, like a 25 to 35-year-old bachelor dude. Um, <laughs> Jed Z is very pleasant. It doesn't sound like anything bad has really happened to the symbiont before. And something really bad has happened here, but if she's not going to remember that and learn from it, and I don't even know what she would learn anyway, except for how much life can, it turns out, suck. And if Muriel's not going to learn anything from it, and if Quark's not going to go to jail, then I don't even know what messages you would find here. Yeah, well, yeah, there, therein lies the problem um, with, with messages. I may mention one that I think is kind of the, the weird, disturbing, unintended one, mm -hmm. which is uh, don't, don't overreach. Yeah. Be okay with what you've got. Now, I, 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 I'm sort of half serious, half kidding, because the half kidding part is we'll, we'll look. Virat is a disturbed individual. This is probably part of the screening process that we're assuming goes on um, because clear, clearly the whole Trill symbiote relationship has worked fine for most everybody else. But um, there is something very specific about him. Um, not everybody's a winner. Um, <laughs> oh, fuck. Man. You and I had that conversation the other day. Did um, we? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I will. That, I will take uh, your word for that because I can't remember right now. But I'm guessing since you're just sort of like you know, yeah. Okay. Remind me after. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I, Varad couldn't deal with being unsuitable, mm -hmm. I, and, and it, it it is sad. It, it's I, you know that that line could have been such a throwaway uh, because it really doesn't say too much when. Uh, uh, Jadzia Dax at the end says that 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 experience was so sad, but it it, it spoke to rightfully the the pity for this person who cannot get his life together, um, no matter what. And, and I don't know I don't know how the trill would treat that. Um, years of therapy, I don't know. I don't know what it would be. Um, but clearly, he's not in a position to deal with. His shortcomings. See, what's amazing, though, is as unsuitable as he was, he still passed, like, he, he got through Starfleet Academy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, he's yeah, he not something. He's yeah. not the worst thing ever. I mean, I, I guess if there is a message, and here's the thing. It would have been great if Cisco had been able to talk Virad Dax into giving Dax back. 
I think that's what I would have liked better, honestly, because then, then there is a lesson, right? Then there is something there. Mm-hmm. If there had been some way for Virad to see that he is the one that's been, ah, it sounds so self-helpy, but you know what? It's, it's, it's you, you know, taking yourself and, and helping yourself. So there's really nothing wrong with being self-helpy, I suppose. If yeah. he, if, if, if if there had been some way that Virad could have, at the end of it, seen that it had only been Virad that had been holding him back, that just because somebody called him a name, that name is unsuitable, mm-hmm. but just because somebody called him a name doesn't make him that thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and, and that's, a, that's a tough thing to do. That's a really tough thing to do because the, the right person saying the wrong thing at the wrong time can do damage. There's a, there's a great line in uh, the movie Talk Radio. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words cause permanent damage. That's true. <laughs> Depending on who says them, when they say them, what state you're in, that's, that, is, that is something that can be true for people. At the same time, just because somebody calls you something doesn't mean that that is that thing that you are. Well, yeah, I mean, like, the, the thing with the Farad is that uh, calling him unsuitable for, to, to host the, the symbiote is factual. It, it, it is factual. It was factual when that decision was made. Right. But he is unsuitable to be the host for a symbiont. He is not unsuitable. No, I, absolutely. Absolutely. So then is that the message or is that the message they were trying to deliver? Or are you and I or am I doing that thing I do where I look for a message where maybe the writers weren't necessarily trying to deliver that one? I, I think I have to chalk this up to a character piece. And and I, I think the messages here are a little too disturbing. The deeper we get, <laughs> I think we have to look at this as an exploration of who is Virad and what is the relationship of the Trill to the symbiote. And boy, aren't we glad that that Jadzia is back in one piece that is actually two pieces. <laughs> Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Hey, have you checked out all the podcasts that the Roddenberry Podcast Network has? What? You didn't even know we were a network? Well, by golly, we are. We got your mission log, your mission log live, Women at Warp, Priority One, and The Trek Files. The best place to keep up with all of them, podcast.roddenberry.com. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, gosh, that'd be swell. You can do that at patreon.com slash missionlog. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM, that is Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. Next week, Cardassians. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Lucky that no one died in this episode. If they had, these riders on the storm would have been ghost riders in the sky. Transmission.
podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.